A thousand years before Jesus was born, Israel had its first king. And it wasn't David. David was number two. The first king was Saul. Saul was chosen because he was the tallest, he was the strongest, he was the most handsome, he was the best, he was the brightest, he was the most highly regarded of all the men among God's chosen people. He seemed a very likely candidate. The only problem was Saul also knew that he was the tallest, the biggest, the strongest, the best, the brightest. And so for him to have all of that pride and self-righteousness and then to have a crown placed on his head beside, well, he was given power, but he let it slip through his fingers because instead of leading the people in service to God, he decided to make decisions that were completely opposed to God's will, God's work, and God's plan. And that just wouldn't wash And that's why Saul is about to be put in the unemployment line, and Samuel, who was told by God to go anoint Saul, has now been sent on a journey to find Jesse's family, because from Jesse's sons, they're going to choose a successor to Saul. They had tried the biggest and the best and the brightest. That didn't work out so well. So now, obviously, when they go through seven of Jesse's sons and do not find a king, it was the runt of the litter that was chosen. Remember, a thousand years before Jesus, God was already showing us the last will be first, the least will be greatest, and little David is going to go off with a slingshot and take out Goliath with one stone. Saul was the best, and he failed. David is the least, and he's going to succeed because God is with him. And if God is with someone, you don't have to have the strength. He does. You don't have to be perfect. He is. And that is why we place our trust in him. And God wanted to help us in our weakness. He wanted to be a light to our darkness, hope for our despair, forgiveness for our sins, life in the face of death. And that is why he sent his son. But as we've been continuing our Lenten journey, watching and listening and witnessing Jesus along that lonesome road to Calvary, we find that every time he tries to work a miracle, all he seems to be stirring up around him is controversy. Last week with the woman at the well, he got in trouble because he was in a Samaritan town and he was talking to a Samaritan woman and he actually dared to offer her a miracle. The Pharisees said, no, eh, unworthy, untouchable, unlovable, unclean, another black mark on his record. Next Sunday for the fifth Sunday of Lent, Caiaphas is going to want to kill Jesus because he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead and they want to kill Lazarus because he makes Jesus so very popular just by being alive. Wherever Jesus went... There is goodness and there is light, but there are still shadows, those who would choose to continue to live in the dark. And the Pharisees, they've cornered the market on darkness. They're leading the way in sinfulness, pride, and self-righteousness, much like Saul a thousand years before them. They believe they are great. They want others to think the same, but they don't recognize God's goodness or greatness in anyone else, including here and especially in one born blind. In Jesus' time and for the centuries preceding it, if you had leprosy or if you were blind or if you were poor or had some poor circumstance in your life, it was thought you had sinned, your family had sinned, and all of you must be under some sort of curse from God to give you such an affliction. Why? Because blind people and lepers were not allowed to work. If you could not work, you could not afford to live. They didn't have all the welfare social services that we have today to care for the needs of those who cannot take care of themselves. They had nothing. If you couldn't get it for yourself, no one else was going to lift a finger to help you. That is, until Jesus came to town. What's interesting 
is every time the Pharisees criticized Jesus for a miracle, they should have been in awe and wonder because he could do what they could not. But they're always looking for some reason to find fault. And here the excuse they use is that Jesus spit and made mud on the Sabbath day. That technically was an offense against their laws that said no work could be done on a Sabbath. To us, it seems minuscule and stupid, and yet there it provokes this whole trial where Jesus is questioned, the man he healed is questioned, his parents are questioned, not because the Pharisees want to come to believe in Jesus, but because they want to find yet another reason to condemn him, and his passion starts just two chapters away. Jesus, however, is undeterred. He will still do good wherever there is suffering, regardless of the cost, whatever persecution he might have to endure. The only problem here is that the man he healed gets caught up in the drama as he too is being accused of being full of sin and then thrown out to the presence of the Pharisees. But what's beautiful for us to consider is the path this man progresses throughout the ninth chapter of John's gospel. He started where he could see nothing. And at first, when he looks at Jesus, he doesn't know that he's automatically looking at God. He just said, some man healed me. His name happens to be Jesus. Then he recognized Jesus as a prophet. Then he recognized that Jesus is of God. And then when he said, I do believe, he recognized that Jesus is God. From darkness to light, from blindness to sight, from death to new life. That is the process of conversion. That is the journey that God has welcomed all of us to walk with him, to make that same path of conversion, that same transformation of faith in our life where we believe that Jesus is God and we do believe that he can heal us of our blindness to help us to see the suffering all around us and do something to heal it. As I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, the fourth Sunday of Lent is the time for the second scrutiny of those to be baptized. And so we're going to conduct that ritual now before we continue with the rest of Mass. And we have at Queen's this year just one adult who is preparing for baptism. We have several people that are already Christian that are going to profess their Catholic faith at the Easter Vigil. But in light of today's first reading, I think it's perfect. What happened in the first reading? Samuel went and found David and anointed him with oil. Who is the person that's going to be baptized this year? We're about to anoint him with oil, and his name happens to be David. This is of God. We're going to welcome our director of the RCIA, Mrs. Koval, uh, to come forward and to lead us in the second scrutiny for the fourth Sunday of Lent.